Season 2, Episode 5, My Body is a Cage. Don't talk, just listen. Under the black sun there is no hope, only mystery. Wonder and danger. Black Sun Dispatches on the Cinefunks Podcast Network. somewhere else, that none of it had happened. In dream, he walked in the sun and he was as himself. In dream, Mike was by his side and smiling. In dream, he answered the smile with one of his own. But inevitably, Terry was forced back awake. Awake, there was no sun to be seen, only the cold, close walls of his sub-basement prison and the bars of his cage. Awake, he was forced to remember that Mike was dead, shot in the head moments after what should have been their greatest triumph. Two street kids, one a cast-off weakling and the other a freak who had been forcibly transformed into a winged gargoyle-like creature. They had been instrumental in saving the city from the kaiju's rampage. They were heroes. They were legends. For all of 30 seconds. And then, Mike was dead. Awake, there were no answers. Lardass kicked open the door to Terry's prison, carrying a tray of food in one hand and a nightstick in the other. Terry ignored the man's entrance, curling his wings tighter around his torso and forcing his eyes shut. Up and at him, Lardass called, running his nightstick along the bars of Terry's cell. Terry sighed and sat up. You ready for your match today, boy? Lardass grinned. Lardass was not the man's name. In a minor act of defiance, which was all he could achieve for the time being, Terry had refused to learn his guard's name. L something was all he got, and he had modified that into Lardass. When the big man got drunk or mean or both and came at him with that stick or with that taser, with the blades as he had a time or two. Terry was able to weather it because he had that mocking name playing in his head all the while, panting the boogeyman as he stepped out of the closet. What's the matter, pup? Lardass said. You don't want to play today? Terry took the tray of food and sat back down. He would not be baited today. He had made up his mind after he decided he'd felt a peace like none he'd known since the day Mike died.
they could not touch him now. So resolved, he set to his meal. The one upshot to his imprisonment was that his captors kept him fed. They needed him strong, after all. The beans, bread, and unspecified meatstuffs would not have been his first choice for this particular meal, but the food was warm and filling, and that was all he needed. Lardass watched him eat, disappointment plain. He'd want to see the freak flip out, Terry thought. Well, fuck him. Like I'd give him the satisfaction. You know, Lardass mused, I heard a story about the day you got got. I was wondering if it was true. It's not about you. No, 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 nothing about you. But I heard that you had yourself a little twink buddy boy. Terry stopped eating. And that he wailed like a little bitch with a skinned knee when he got his skull perforated. Did he? Did he mew and beg like a pathetic? Terry launched the bars, hands outstretched. Lardass took one calm step back and watched as the chain caught on the collar and went taut. And Terry collapsed to the floor of his cell, choking. You never learn, do ya? The guard cackled. Ah, you ugly little son of a bitch. <laughs> How dumb can you get? The tray was plastic. It snapped easily. The cage was small, but there was enough room for Terry to bring his arm all the way back in a wind-up motion. They'd kept him strong. His aim had always been true. Lardass was still cackling when the first half of the tray struck him clean between the eyes and stuck there. It was only slowly that the smile faded and the screaming began. He ran bawling from the room. Terry tossed the other half of the tray to the floor outside the bars. It clattered and went still. He glanced at the security camera in the corner of the room and offered whoever was watching it a clawed middle finger. Terry lay back down and folded his wings over himself once more. Soon, another goon would arrive to bring him to the fighting pits. And honestly, he was fine with this. He would have been the picture of docility if Lardass had not brought up Mike. His resisting days were done. He was done. That was what he had decided, the sorcerer's newfound inner peace. Today, Terry, the reigning champion of the fighting pits beat the man McRae's keep in the city beneath the black sun, would face whatever opponent had been prepared for him, and Terry would let himself lose. To lose was to die, and Terry would not have it any other way.
before there was anything to see, there was the pounding of drums. Distant at first, but steadily gaining speed, growing louder, until their furious pace was akin to a concert of thunder. Then grimy light appeared, the murkiest glow to ever wait at the end of any tunnel. Coming down that tunnel, as if generated by the grim light and propelled by the drums, came the stench of the square and the sounds of the crowd. The stench was blood and sweat and fear. It was newly cut copper and sawdust. It was acrid and ancient, yet also warm with recency. The sound had blood in it too, and sweat. It was punch drunk, raw, red-cheeked and hoarse-throated. It was chaos, yes, but chaos caged and aimed and given a target. The crowd cheered as Terry's cage appeared from out the entrance tunnel. They would cheer if he lived. They would cheer if he died. No matter what, the crowd would always win. The goons made sure Terry's chain was firmly locked and then, once satisfied, they sprung the cage door. The floor of the square was still damp as Terry stepped down to it. Stagehands hustled with brooms and mops to muck away the viscera and bone fragments left by whoever had competed before Terry. A girl, younger even than Terry, walked among the pink puddles, wearing only sandals on her feet. She sprinkled sawdust where she stepped. Terry recalled being a young kid, sitting on his father's lap while the old man flipped from station to station, unsatisfied with all the offered sports. He finally settled on what must have been ESPN 9 or 10, which at that time featured two massive Asian men in what appeared to be diapers, grabbing and gripping one another. This is called sumo wrestling, his dad said. As one match ended, another began. Two more massively round and roundly massive Asian men stepped onto the mat. Each man in turn stopped to sprinkle salt on the mat before them, then stomped and stamped their feet. Why? Terry's father replied. I don't know why. They're Japanese, Terry. Who the fuck knows? Watching the girl sprinkle sawdust, Terry found himself wishing he had a pinch of salt he could add to the putrid remnants. Finish the soup. He wished he'd bothered to find out for himself why sumo wrestlers spread salt. He wished he'd bothered to find answers to so many other petty small wonderings, and the handful of major wonderings also. He wished he knew more things. If he had, he could have shared those things with Mike. Maybe somewhere, in that massive gulf of things unknown and words unsaid, was the combination that would have kept Mike safe. There had to be such a combination out there, right? There had to be an answer how to live in the world and know no loss. There had to be. Maybe. Or maybe not. But Terry was through looking. His efforts to escape his sorrows had gotten him turned into a fucking bat monster. His attempts to transcend his monstrous nature had resulted only in death and loneliness 
that stung all the sharper for his having nearly escaped it. No. He'd had enough. Terry peered through the mesh cage that encircled the square and found her in her usual seat. Magda, queen of bone crunching, of skin splitting, and teeth tearing. Magda, wore heavy white makeup on the remaining parts of her face. Magda, whose right cheek and lower right jaw had been torn away by the slash of a scaly prowler's paw. Magda, who wore that prowler's paws on her hands as gloves and its testicles around her neck within a glass charm. Magda, deathhead, smiling down at him. Terry flashed a bitter smile back. She turned from her returning champion and nodded to a goon. The opposing doors began to open. Let it come, Terry thought. Let it be something that will do its work quick. My body is a cage and I am ready to be free. Let it come. The doors opened. What came through those doors froze the breath in Terry's lungs. Even the crowd, revved up and ready for whatever spectacle Magda could cook up, hushed themselves in confusion and then horror. What came through those doors looked at first glance to be only a man. But with only a moment's more inspection, you could see that it was more a grotesque parody of the human form than an actual subject. His forearms were attached backwards at the elbows, and his right lower leg as well. His fingers extended for extra knuckles, these mutant digits clutching and groping at the empty air. His shark mouth hung slack, flapping open and closed in rapid succession rows of crooked razors appearing and vanishing in turn. His nose and genitals had long since rotten off. Of the former, there remained only a cavernous void in his face, papered over by thin skin that pulsed in and out with his each breath. Of the latter, there was only a puckering of loose flesh in a corkscrew fold. Some spectator leaned over to a friend to ask, what is it? In the petrified atmosphere of collective horror, the whisper carried like a shout. Magda rose from her throne, beaming. She declared, This! This is the deadliest denizen to ever darken the streets of the city beneath the black sun. With a confirmed kill count of over 40 poor souls, we at first deemed it too dangerous to allow into the square. It just wouldn't be a fair fight. 
But now, she let it hang there, let them scent the blood in the water. Murmurs became whispers, became excitement, became carnivorous need. That's right, my friends. Because what kind of champion earns a crown for taking on the best of the best? And so, my friends, I am proud to bring you the greatest contest in our illustrious history. The Bat versus the thing known only as the Lonely. Cheers. Oh, how they cheered. Terry felt the familiar slack as a chain and collar dropped from his throat. Across the square, the keepers of the lonely released their captive as well. Terry noticed that the lonely was accompanied not only by two guards holding his leash, but four additional jailers that stood at nervous attention, spears in hand aimed directly at the lonely's back. An odd pole-like device was used to unlock the lonely's collar. No sooner was it loose, than the entire entourage was sprinting back the way they had come. But the doors were shut. No! They cried. No! 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 Our challenger is a little rusty, Mac declared. Try as we might, we just can't feed him. He prefers his prey fresh. They broke their spears trying to open the doors. Clong efforts tore fingernails from their beds until they painted scarlet runes of death and desperation on a door that would not open. Looking down upon them, the death's head grinned. Through it all, the lonely did not move until its bones began to crack. The first snap dropped new silence onto the crowd. Even the former jailers ceased their screams for a moment enough to cast one fearful look back, save for one in their number who kept up his pounding in his useless chorus of no, no, no. Its skin began to split, tendons and muscles drawing apart like seaweed strands shifting on the whims of the tide. Its jaw extended outward, row after row of teeth revealing in the grim light. No! 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 Its bones finished their snapping. The lonely unfolded where it stood. The taller, sharper version it had become turned and looked down upon its former captors. No! 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 When he was a kid, a real kid, back beneath the golden sun, before his family had moved to a metropolis already dense with rot before it was plucked by an underworld, Terry had made some easy dough mowing lawns around the neighborhood. Easy money, and sometimes the nicest of the old ladies would bring him lemonade or homemade cookies. Terry gave the job up after an incident one July afternoon. He was going up and down the waves of blemishless green maintained by Mrs. Zimmerman as even and perfectly symmetrical a yard as any in the neighborhood. He could not have known. How could he have known? Mrs. Zimmerman's lawn was without ditch or rock, but suddenly 
the lawnmower pitched and he felt hot warm spray against his lower legs. He killed the mower and looked down. What remained in the red mist was only just recognizable as having once been bunnies. As he stood at the edge of the square and watched a new cloud of red mist well up and sprinkle scarlet raindrops across the ground, he thought back to that warm summer day. He remembered the taste of bile in his throat and the numb horror that seized his mind and walked him home, abandoning the mower in the middle of the yard. The last remaining of the jailer stood defiant, feet squelching in the thick puddles that have been his compatriots. He raised his fists against the lonely. It met him as the lawnmower blade meets the flesh of a bunny. He vanished in a spray of himself, leaving only Terry alone against the lonely. That's good, right? Mike's voice in his head, unbidden but clear. All you want was death, yeah? Your body's a cage. Here comes a key. His own voice surprising him. No. No, no, no. Mike's hand on his shoulder, unseen but firm, his lips by Terry's ear. Then God damn it, fight! He leapt into the air, away from the ravaging claws of the lonely. His wings ached from disuse, flight muscles strained to keep him aloft. The mesh ceiling to the square forbid him escape, but he hooked his claws into the wire and hung there. Blood dripping from its snout, the lonely circled beneath him, every so often shaking a bleeding limb at Terry. The crowd quickly grew restless. Bottles and trash began to fly, striking the wire mesh ceiling around Terry's claws. A small cheer went up in a concentrated spot nearby. The ceiling sank as new weight was added. Terry glanced away from the lonely, just in time to see the boot dropping fast at his hand. The drunk was red-cheeked and wild-eyed. At the gargoyle's cry of anguish, he threw his hands up in celebration. The cheers were louder now, widespread. But through his pain, Terry could see Magda frantically saying something to her goon squad, who began to push their way through the crowd. The drunk raised his other boot and aimed it at Terry's other hand, but Terry anticipated this attack and avoided. Wherever he placed his hand a moment later, the boot stomped. The other hand, still, was caught beneath the other boot, dull fires burning. Sir? The voice urgent, clear. Sir, get away from there. I'm a paying customer, the drunk drooled. It, it's all part of the show. Slowly, nervously, 
the goons stepped on the mesh wire ceiling. Terry's pointed ears twitched. Beneath the crowd, beneath the lonely's wails, beneath the drunk's protests and the goons' stern reproachment, beneath the blood and confusion, was one clear sound. Metal straining. Terry closed his eyes. His pinned fingers clenched. He lifted his feet up and gripped the mesh with the claws of his toes. Lastly, he grabbed the hold of the ceiling with his remaining hand. The goons had almost coaxed the drunk back to his seat when he saw the gargoyle grab the mesh. A giggle burp popped loose. The crowd roared as his leg went up once more, shot down once more. No one had noticed how the gargoyle pulled. The ceiling squealed as it fell. Terry rode the arc down, bracing himself as his back collided with the wall of the fighting floor. The goons and the drunk hit the ground with thumps and snaps, but no sooner did they begin to climb to their feet than the lonely was upon them. Most did not even have time to scream before they were split and torn. The drunk scurried away on all fours until he reached the collapsed mesh ceiling. He leapt at it, attempting to use the wiring as a ladder up and out. The lonely broke upon him like a wave, the gushing red spray exploding through the gaps in the mesh to douse Terry head to toe in gore. When he opened his eyes again, all that remained of the drunk was a hand gripping the mesh, a forearm attached to the hand, and another bone poking out of the forearm. Terry pushed himself clear of the fallen ceiling and stepped towards the center of the square, his actions feeling disconnected from his mind. He stepped through the fog, both of mind and body, feeling droplets freckle his skin. No problem. So what if it was raining out? Rain never hurt anybody. But, he thought, I'm not outside. But wait, he thought, rain isn't red. Standing among the red mist, Terry looked up. Blood showered from above, the occasional limb landing like irregular hail interrupting the storm. He flapped his wings and rose, slowly, above the square and through the mist. The crowd lay in heaps of torn fabric and shred flesh. No one moaned, no one cried. Aside from a ceaseless dripping, all was quiet. Terry did not move when he heard the wet slapping of approaching feet. He kept his gaze averted. He had no idea he was going to speak until the words left him. I don't want to die, he said. Why not? The lonely's voice was soft, hollow, but not unkind. Terry turned. He had once again assumed the form of the parody man. I would love to die, it said. I was born to die, but I can't. You can, if you like.
you feel the way I do, I can tell. You didn't belong in that first world, and now you don't belong in this one. There is no world for you. But I'm still here. It's not pathetic, even to Terry. But it was all he had. And since I'm here, I, I want to keep trying. I owe Mike that. The lonely stared with unseeing eyes. I was always this. And this I will always be. But you. Your body is a cage. I would set your spirit free. I told you, Terry said, fists clenching. I'm not dying anytime soon. I can see it, the lonely went on. The backwards hand rose. Terry made to step back, but then the lonely was there, right there, holding him fast with fingers of cold iron. Your mind, the lonely breathed. Your mind holds the key. Terry screamed as the first finger sank into his skull. Head Order Officer Mustafa poured himself a drink. Good alcohol was hard to come by, so likely he would soon regret depleting his store so greatly in just one night. But he needed it. By Christ, he needed it. Over 20 dead, and those survivors out of their minds with terror. The facts of the fighting circuit were quickly ascertained, but the guilty parties had fled to cover beneath the man McRae's coattails. Tomorrow would begin the long work of trying to find any measure of justice possible. But tonight, tonight was for him and for this drink. As quietly as he could, he walked to the holding cell where the kid still slept. He'd been out almost 10 hours, almost as soon as they pulled him blood-soaked and stunned out of the ruins of the fighting pit. Mustafa sighed, dreading the discoveries tomorrow was sure to bring. Who was this boy? Who were his parents? And why had the creature known only as the Lonely seemed fit to let this boy live while slaughtering everyone else in sight before allowing itself to be captured again? Mustafa walked away. Tomorrow. Let it wait for tomorrow. The dead were dead, the living scene too, and the monster back in its cage. The ordinary young man in the cell could be allowed this moment's rest.
Hey everybody, thank you for listening to another episode of Black Sun Dispatches, part of the Cinepunks Podcast Network. My name is Brent Foley, and I write, produce, and perform the show. Uh, Black Sun Dispatches is only one of many great shows offered by the Cinepunks Network. Other shows include Cinepunks, obviously, Horror Business, Loud Fast Philly, The Mandate, uh, and the Cinepunks website has tons of really cool writing, so please do check out all that stuff uh, available to you for no car charge whatsoever. If you like to be charged for it, uh, it's totally optional, but you can contribute to the Patreon on the Cinepunks website uh, to help finance the shows and keep us, all, uh, keep us all making all the cool stuff that you like. Cinepunks is sponsored by Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations, and you can hit them up at xlvacx.com. Again, that's Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations at xlvacx.com. Uh, if you like the show, please rate it and review us on iTunes. Please help spread the word on Twitter and Facebook and whatever uh, social networks are being created to replace the wretched high scum and villainy that is Twitter and Facebook. Uh, you can follow the show on Twitter at Black Sun Show. You can follow me on Twitter at The True Brendan F. Black Sun Dispatch's logo is done by Jennifer Rogers, and the show, uh, the music is Winter by E.L. Heath. Uh, so we'll be back on September 10th and then September 24th with uh, two new episodes. I hope you guys will enjoy those. I hope you like this one. Uh, it's longer than they normally are, but, you know, that's just kind of how these things go. Uh, hey, more bang for your buck that you didn't spend. Cost you nothing except your time, which I hope you enjoyed wasting away with this weird little show. So, uh, like I said, September 10th and September 24th will be our next two uh, find out what happens next to Terry, what happens next to everyone else in the city beneath the black sun. Uh, looking forward to it. See you then.